All right, and welcome back to another COVID conversation. And today I'm sitting down with Kristen Murphy to talk about her experiences in the skilled nursing world and just hear about what life like is like there. So welcome to the Speech Uncensored podcast. I'm Leanne, and I'm so happy to have you, Kristen. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I wish it were under better circumstances, but hey, it's an opportunity to talk. Exactly. And to share and to just like help everyone know what's going on and to see if there's anything of value to share with others, which is what I'm all about. Absolutely. And I am just kind of dying to know like what's going on, at least in your experience. I know you can't speak broadly for like all the skilled nursing facilities across the U.S., um, but like what life is like right now in a skilled mm-hmm. nursing facility um, with you, because honestly, I'm hearing some extremely shady stuff on the social <laughs> media. So like, I believe that. Yeah. Um, All right. So uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what you're doing right now, please. Okay. So I've been practicing for about 10 years as a medical SLP. I have primarily worked in skilled nursing, um, but I've covered um, everything from subacute. I do long-term care, um, outpatient, and we have a contract with home health. So we're actually allowed to follow a lot of our patients home, which is great. Um, We get to see a full continuum of care. So we're in the home health world right now, too. Um, The skilled nursing facility that I work in currently is a 120-bed subacute rehab and long-term care facility. Um, We also have an Alzheimer's unit, and like I said, we do home health. Um, So there's kind of a lot of different pieces that I get to experience, which is great. Um, I guess I'll explain that as we talk, um, I'm coming from a facility that currently has no confirmed COVID cases. um, And we do have cases present in our county and the hospitals we get admissions from. um, But we are currently COVID negative. And I feel like that's important because it drives the conversation we're going to have. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just with that statement alone, I'm like, okay, I have a million questions. Like is the staff wearing masks Uh, or, or also what I'm hearing is that they're being discouraged from wearing masks. Um, Are people being regularly tested or is there like a screening system before employees come in to take temperature? I mean, like I just have so many questions because we need to keep that kind of environment COVID free to the best of our ability. Um, So like, I wonder like what's happening there. I'm sorry. I got really excited. (laughs) That's okay. Um, I can speak to our facility. We have been screening um, for three, four weeks now. um, And the screening process is temperature at the door, um, all or any symptoms that you may have, and they have a list of them, any travel you've had, um, and um, any contact you may have had with a potential COVID case. Um, And then we do wear masks in the facility that is mandated as staff in all areas. Um, However, we have now recently switched to cloth masks as the availability of surgical masks has just been very difficult in our area. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have a process for washing and sterilizing those every day. Um, And then any admissions that we are taking are quarantined for 14 days to their rooms with... um, different sets of PPE. So they have um, gowns, masks, and gloves outside their doors, and we all have that to work with. Um, Did I get everything that you asked, or were there other questions? 
Oh, I don't know, because now I have like five more questions. So maybe, maybe, maybe one of my new ones will be one of the old ones. Go ahead. For the other residents in your facility who are not on the 14 day quarantine, Mm -hmm. um, are they able to move about the facility? Are they being taken out of their room for therapy? Are there still meal groups? What's the mobility like within the facility for the people not under a 14 day quarantine? Sure. So we are still allowing um, our patients out of their rooms. Um, We are keeping the six foot distance between patients as much as humanly possible. Um, When we're talking about some of our dementia patients, they're mobile all day long and they don't have the cognitive ability to maintain that on their own. Um, So we maintain it for them as best we can and make suggestions. We are not doing um, communal dining. Everyone does get a tray in their room. Um, And we are doing occasional activities in semi-community, meaning that we can spread the dining room out to have about six or seven people play a game of bingo with appropriate distance between them and appropriate hygiene when they come out in and out of the room. Okay. Um, so it's, it's limited, but we are allowing patients out. And then in the therapy gym, we're maintaining that six foot distance, um, bleaching between patients. We have a large enough gym that we're able to have um, our restorative nursing and therapy both happening Um, just, we have to coordinate with each other very well to make sure that we're maintaining appropriate distance and cleaning between things. Okay. Are your residents and patients being asked to wear masks? They are not at this time. Um, they are asked to wear them when they come back from appointments. Um, and when they go out for appointments, they have to wear them per the medical facilities that we send to so far, but they are not wearing them in facility. And then patients who come back from a hospitalization or appointments are being quarantined for 14 days as well, just like a new admission. Okay. So what type of appointments are residents leaving the building for? Typically only critical, um, or what is deemed critical, um, Things like infectious disease or things where the doc really feels like telehealth is not an option, where they have to have labs drawn, um, Mm -hmm. hospitalizations that are critical. Um, Other than that, our docs have really been doing telehealth, and they've mainly been um, pretty okay with that for the most part. I have not seen many people leave the building. Okay. All right. Um, Ooh, okay, so... No visitors are allowed, I'm assuming. That is correct. So um, what's your facility doing to maintain um, relationships with residents and their Mm -hmm. families during this time? This is one of my favorite things, and I think it's because I'm an SLP and because I love communication and I love alternate means of communication. Um, We have a FaceTime spreadsheet that our activities coordinators have been using, and they have been um, setting up families and residents with FaceTime, Skype, Google meetings, all kinds of different um, platforms that they can talk to their families on and then setting them up with an iPad on a stand that they can sit and chat for a while. Um, And that schedule is full every day, all day for them. Um, So that's been really neat. We have had a handful of folks that will come and do window visits and we'll set up the patient on a cell phone and the um, person on a cell phone and guide them to the room outside. With windows closed, they can talk through the windows. And we've had a fair number of people do silent social distancing parades, I think they're calling them, where um, folks will be outside the windows with signs and things. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we've, we've done our best to do 
as much video chatting as we can um, and as much face-to-face as is able right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, I'm, so I'm kind of curious about the morale of the residents. Like, how do they feel during this time? Are they kind of rolling with it? Um, or do they feel more cut off despite these extra kind of, you know, mm-hmm. silent parades and window visitors mm-hmm. and Skyping and whatnot? Like, how do you feel as you walk around the facility and, and engage with the residents? Like, what's that like? I feel like in some ways this has been one of our obstacles is making sure that our residents are maintaining the highest level of mental health that they can during this. And I would say the answer to that depends on what wing you're on and what type of resident we're talking about. Um, Our higher cognitively functioning residents have a lot of questions usually. Um, If they are people in rehab that are looking to return home in the next several weeks, there's a lot of questions about how do I discharge? When I discharge, how do I get that mandatory visit with my doctor that I have to have in a week? If I don't have these telehealth options at home, um, what am I going to be able to do and who's going to help me get things when I get home? Or I guess some people have just asked me, what does the world look like when I leave here? Because they haven't experienced it because they've been in rehab for the duration of the time that we've been in quarantine for some of them. Yeah. So yeah, it's really, um, they see it on the news, but they're not really sure what's going on. So they have a lot of questions. Um, and then some of our some of our lower level cognitive patients haven't noticed. Obviously, um, they're not real aware. And then there's some of these folks in the middle that I'm finding we're keeping track. Like our social worker is keeping lists of folks, and we're talking about have we seen changes in mental health? Have we seen an increase in um, debility because people aren't doing as many activities or getting out as much? Mm-hmm. Um, are we seeing declines in wanting to participate in things or are we seeing, you know, weight loss or, you know, anything that could trigger us to wonder how they're doing mentally. And I would say that that list keeps growing. Um, mm-hmm. and we don't always know what the trigger is for each individual person and trying to find ways to make sure we're supporting their mental health, um, and do as much as we can to keep them active in a safe way. Um, Some skilled nursing facilities might have uh, like a patio or some outdoor kind of space. Um, Does your facility have anything like that? We do. Um, We did some construction about two years ago and have a beautiful courtyard that's in between our um, right outside of our therapy gym. And that courtyard is built for, um, teaching residents to do outdoor ambulation. It has a ramp, it has stairs, it has a nice pathway. So we've been able to take people out there to do um, therapy tasks. And then there are several different patios off of several different wings that we've been able to use on the sunny days. Um, Unfortunately, we're in Wisconsin, so the weather hasn't been quite as warm as we would like for our residents, but there have been a handful of days where we've gone, okay, anybody that wants to go out, let's get people out. Let's go Mm -hmm. for walks. Let's um, Mm -hmm. go sit in the sun for 10 minutes. Let's, you know, find as much time as we can to be in the sun. Excellent. Good. Mm -hmm. I I really love hearing that the staff are really paying attention and looking into caring, not just for their patients' medical health, but for their 
their mental health and making sure that everyone's got tabs on them. That I love hearing that. That's so good. I think that's been so important. And I've seen a lot of staff go outside of their roles to say, okay, well, this isn't something I would normally do, but I'm going to take this patient outside for 30 minutes because it just needs to happen. And that's been awesome. Oh, that's so good. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. I think that segues really good into a question that I actually had prepared. Sorry. I just like, I've just been hearing so many super sketchy things on the social media. I was like, please tell me it's not that bad. And it it is, I'm sure it is that bad out there for some people, but I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. That's not hopefully not the norm. I hope not. That scares me. It does. Okay. All right. So my, my actual question <laughs> I had prepared, tell me a little bit about how COVID-19 has altered your practice or your work. Mm-hmm. Um, has your caseload gone down or up? Um, are your hours been affected? Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Personally, in our therapy department, we've seen um, a very, very, very fast decline in admissions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it has the trickle down effect from hospitals um, all the way down. Hospitals, from what I hear and my understanding of it so far, is that hospitals are choosing to send people home rather than to facilities um, for safety reasons, mm-hmm. or people aren't going to the hospital that maybe should. Mm-hmm. Um, or I, I think that a lot of hospitals just don't even know where to place people because a lot of people are taking less admits or are not taking admissions at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our particular facility, we are limiting the number of admissions per week so that we can you know, adequately protect each patient coming in and all of the residents we already have. Mm-hmm. So our therapy caseload has been very low lately for us. We usually take before COVID, we could take as many as three admissions a day. Um, and we kept a pretty large caseload. Um, and now I think most of us have had, you know, about half the work that we normally do. Um, so we're still working, but it's definitely been a big change in hours and just a big change in how we practice because the folks that are, um, on quarantine or are new, we try to see toward the end of our day. Mm. Um, so little things like that really change where we have to schedule around each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, the modalities that like PT and OT are using, they have to schedule around each other to be in the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, some of the other, I guess, changes have just been communication related. Who's going to take a day off? Who's going to work this day? Who's going to, you know, I, just all kinds of transitions. And it's required a lot of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, but in ways, I think that's a great thing. I think our team camaraderie has been always good, but even improving with this because we have to talk, we have to be on the same page. So that's been awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love hearing that too. Um, and that's been something I've heard repeatedly throughout mm-hmm. all my different conversations with folks mm-hmm. is that there was a baseline of communication. There was a baseline yeah. of teamwork. Things were working and were working well. Yeah. But now under pressure, like that teamwork is stronger, that communication is more frequent. And that's what we want to see, you know, when things like this come up that really put pressure on us is that what's in place that's working well is amplified. Oh, that's really inspiring. I love it. Oh, it's been good despite the bad. That's right. That's right. Always looking for those silver linings. Yes. 
Um, have there been any other unexpected benefits coming out of this um, implications to our practice with COVID-19? I think so. I really do. And I, I'm not... I'm not trying to say that things won't go back to the way they were, but there are some things I actually hope stay the same Mm -hmm. Um, in some ways. I hope that that team camaraderie stays the same as it is. And I think it has to right now because we're the only people we have. We're the only people we see besides the people we have at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's been fabulous. And I think some of the connections that we've had with our patients are actually stronger and better because it it levels the playing field. It's something that we all have in common and something that everyone is experiencing and something everyone is concerned about. Um, And it opens up the door for conversations that we may not have had before. Um, And I love the adaptive communication we've had for our patients. I don't know why we wouldn't use FaceTime after this. Um, You know, if you have a family member who normally visits every week but is going on a three-month vacation to Florida why not FaceTime with them? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something I'm going to strongly encourage that we continue far and beyond COVID, that we continue to use alternate methods. Because I think for some folks, the phone is very challenging. But when you add that FaceTime component, oh, guess what? They can read lips if they're hard of hearing. And it's Mm -hmm. great. I think they get so much more context. Yes, exactly. Or they can read your face. They can see your emotion. They can go off of that. Yes. Yes. Seeing the face yeah. is so important. And that's why when I record podcasts, we can see each other. Like, it's yeah. not, like we're not on a phone call. Like we need to see each other too, to read each other for like, you know, when Leanne wants to interrupt somebody again, <laughs> it's just really helpful. I was just thinking how much easier this was being on video. It just makes the conversation more natural. And I can't fathom for our folks that are hard of hearing or cognitively impaired, how much that changes the dynamic and makes it easier for them. I think Mm. it's phenomenal. Um, yeah. And I've seen some beautiful, beautiful, um, end of life conversations actually happen that way. Mm. Um, very challenging, but it's actually been, uh, kind of a beautiful thing that even despite the fact that this is happening, life is still moving. Yes. And I think in some ways we've, we, we treat it like life has paused, uh-huh. but it hasn't. And I think skilled nursing is a beautiful place to see that life is continuing to progress no matter what, because there are folks who aren't going to make it through this just based mm-hmm. on their age and their debility level. Um, you know, and they know folks that aren't going to make it who have something happen while they're in rehab And um, getting to use some of those modalities to, you know, make sure that they can be together as much as possible has actually been a really beautiful experience. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Thank you for being a part of providing that for people. That's, that's massive. That's huge. I mean, all I can think about is if I had a loved one and all my family live out of town, I'm like really physically far apart from family. So if something was to happen to them, not only could I not go see them, I couldn't get to them. Like it's not safe to travel necessarily. And then they wouldn't let me in the building, you know, and what that must be like for families right now is just like heart wrenching, just absolutely terrible. So I'm with you. It breaks my heart a lot. But I also agree 100% with you that if we can do this now, we can do this in the future of providing FaceTime or video conferencing with families that are out of town, that aren't able to come in every day. 
um, and see their loved ones, but need to connect and need that literal, that FaceTime, that face, like being able to see them is everything. I was reading something on um, an Instagram story, I think, and it talked about um, the therapy team was able to sign up to literally just go do rounds with the patients in a hospital of providing that uh, video conferencing with family members. Wow. And one thing they said is sometimes they don't even talk. They just like look at each other and just cry because they're just so happy to see their loved ones. They just sit there and like cry for a few minutes before they can even talk. You know, I believe that. I've seen tears galore this week, but it's in some ways it's been happy tears. Some Mm, ways it's been sad, but it's all been cathartic, I would say. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got to move forward. I'm getting like all all in my feelings right now. (laughs) You and me both. Um, All right. So what resources are you using to uh, keep your workflow progressing um, and to adapt to these unusual circumstances? What's been really helpful for you? Um, so some of it has been life as usual. So Mm -hmm. for us, we're kind of lucky because we haven't tried to transition to telehealth or anything like that. Um, but I am seeing that my patients are discharging with less services or Mm -hmm. we're not recommending as much treatment because we want to make sure that we're doing the best by them by keeping them in minimal contact as needed. Um, so some of the things that I found really helpful, um, I've been using, um, the pandemic packet from honeycomb speech therapy, which Mm -hmm. is a really cool way of discussing not only what's going on and how it impacts that patient individually, but there's some just really great resources in there, um, for, um, talking about executive functioning, talking about aphasia, talking about communication that the patient can do by themselves or with family. Um, that I think is really great because right now we're not always sure how people are going to discharge and we can't plan the same as we used to. So having some of those things that my patient can do independently to start thinking about what their priorities are has Mm -hmm. been really great. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there was another, um, there was another home exercise program that I found that eat, speak, eat, speak, think, put out. That's a hard one to say. (laughs) Um, and it was all about building, um, really intensive home exercise programs. It was based on aphasia. However, I find it also really, um, just kind of makes you critically think about how to build an intensive program for someone that you can't spend direct one-on-one time with five days a week, six days a week, three days a week. You can't do that. And building some of these home exercise program ideas for, even should my facility go to telehealth, should I not be able to see patients anymore? Because right now I have that luxury. But should mm-hmm. that change, um, those are things that I've been using to kind of transition my patients to a more independent way of doing their own therapy, mm-hmm. just in case I can't be there um, for some reason. I, I'm 20 weeks pregnant. I don't know what will happen what is going to happen with me or what will change. So I like to be prepared, and I think that's kept my workflow good knowing that I have options. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Well, since you're talking about being pregnant, how <laughs> has that been? Um, okay. So you mentioned like, as far as we know, your sister mm-hmm. or your facility does not have any positive patients. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are lots of other healthcare workers out there who are pregnant. Um, mm. I feel like that's a whole nother ball of worms. Do you feel like you, 
need extra protection, the same protection? Are you doing anything a little bit different? Is your facility doing anything different for their pregnant or otherwise or other employees who have um, health issues that might put them at a higher risk? So this is something that I've actually addressed more on my own than necessarily with my facility or based on, um, you know, anything that anyone else is doing for me. This has been kind of my own choice um, that I spoke with my OB and we talked about what are, what do we know? What do we actually know about COVID-19 and what do we know about the impact on an unborn child. And most of the research is coming from, you know, back in SARS, to be honest, Mm -hmm. and what little we still know out of Italy and China. Mm -hmm. Um, And I based my decisions on what I do know. And um, it's a really hard thing to say, to be very honest with you, because I think that everybody has to make a choice. Anyone who's pregnant has to make a choice based on the fact that we are high risk. We're considered in the category of, um, you know, people who have lung compromise, um, folks who have immunocompromise. We're right up there with those folks right now because it is an unknown. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to look inside and say, okay, what, what am I comfortable with? What keeps me mentally healthy? Because if you're not mm-hmm. mentally healthy, that impacts your child. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what choices am I going to make? So far, no one has really told me one way or the other what to do, but I can say that people have been respectful of my choices. Good. And uh, that's pretty much what I'm going with for now. My husband and I sat down and talked about what are our limits? If X, then Y. Oh, and, that is uh, so important. I'm yeah. so glad you did that. Yes. And we did that from the beginning and made choices about at each level and each potential um, exposure, what was our choice as a family. And so I have that in my back pocket for should things change, we know what we're going to do. Good. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I want to be really nosy and have you tell me everything, but I'm going to respect your privacy. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm intentionally being vague because I think it is so personal And I think what I'm doing is not right for what everyone is doing. It just depends on making those choices. And I think that's just, if I had any advice, it's we have to be really intrinsically motivated right now to make decisions. We can't look at what everyone else is doing. We can't look at the world. We can look at what we know from the CDC. We can look at CMS. We can look at ASHA's recommendations. But we have to look internally to make choices right now. And I think that's a really good critical thinking skill that is going to benefit us as therapists. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I love that you and your husband were proactive. You sat down and you made boundaries Mm -hmm. so that you knew if this went into a certain direction, what your responses would be like. And I also absolutely adore that you recognize what is, what will work for you and your family may not be applicable to others in different situations, in different places, and in different locations around the U.S. And that's really important. And that's why kind of the whole theme of all these COVID conversations and what's happening in the world right now, we keep going back to, it's a case-by-case basis. We talk about that and interacting with our patients, but literally everything we're doing right now Mm -hmm. is a case-by-case basis, an Mm -hmm. hour-by-hour basis, a day-by-day thing. And that's just what life is like right now. And honestly, that's 
kind of common. That's not going to end. We might have a lot where we don't have to change as much as frequently, mm-hmm. but still. I think it really is going to be a great skill for speech therapists in general, because how many people have said right now, okay, we don't have MBS and fees available. Now what? Well, I think this just speaks to, we all want a black and white answer for how we practice. And we want a prescription for how we practice with each patient and each diagnosis. And that's never been available, but we've always asked for it. And this is a really great blown up example of how we want a prescription. We want someone to tell us what to do, but it doesn't exist because it's unknown. And if we can take that critical thinking and learn how to make intrinsic choices that are right for situations and say, there isn't a blanket answer. I have to go with the gray area. I have to make a choice based on the situation. Mm -hmm. I think we would all come out better clinicians. Absolutely. Hundred (laughs) percent. Yeah. I think what we're searching for and what we desire, and I think what is a possibility is a framework, but that framework is very open. It's a very general guide to practice, but you have to take in all those unique features of your patient, of your setting, of what's currently going on in that moment and apply those critical thinking skills to have that outcome for that particular patient in that time. So yeah, there we go. Solving the world's problems. One conversation at a time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my last question would be, what advice would you like to share with others in the skilled nursing world? Um, yeah, because we know there's a lot of disparity in the skilled nursing mm-hmm. world. A um, lot of different things going on, a um, lot of different access to PPE and to mm-hmm. support from administration and all that kind of thing. So what would you like to offer to others listening? I think my advice is proactively make those choices that Leanne and I were just talking about. Um, you know, sit down and really make those choices based on yourself and your comfort and your safety, and your mental health above all. Um, Proactively know what your plan is for any potential situation that could come up. And obviously, we don't know all of them. But, you know, think about if X, then Y. Um, And I think, ultimately, your mental health has to come first. So seek out ways that you can ways that you can help with that, you know, be proactive on your own end, seek out meditation, seek out some of the free resources that are being offered to healthcare. Um, Mm -hmm. They've been mentioned in the podcast prior to this. And um, I just, I, I can't speak enough for how taking a walk during the day when it's sunny has made a difference in my perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. So find what works for you, find your coping skills and um, hit that really hard right now. That's incredibly important. Um, I think my last piece of advice is take advantage of the time we have right now. Um, I think as people in general, we have time to do things that we have always said we've put off because we didn't have time as career professionals. Um, so we've been doing things around the house and things like that, that we didn't have time for. Um, but in terms of actual practice, 
you know, this is the time to organize um, your office and all those things that you've been putting off or, you know, build your practice, um, find resources that you've been looking for for ages, talk mm-hmm. with other SLPs. Um, I'm two thirds of the way through my BCS and I've had plenty of time to do lots of continuing education right now for that. And that's been fantastic. Um, but just find ways right now to, to use your time really effectively. Cause we may never get this kind of time again. I know it's, it's, um, it's so, it's so odd to be so grateful for something that's coming at such a horrible cost. So I feel so conflicted about absolutely loving this season of my life yeah. that's coming. It's yeah. Like I said, such a, a negative cost for so many people. So I agree. Yeah, I am. Um, and I also know that I'm coming from a place of extreme privilege to have that, that spare time, that free time and be able to, to use it for these things. Um, that may not be the case in, in every household. Mm-hmm. And I recognize yeah. that. So, and I know there are places where our situation does sound really ideal right now, where people are exhausted and actually spending more time at work. Or I know there are skilled nursing facilities and clinicians that would beg to have what I have right now. And um, to all of you, just put your mental health first. We're going to get through this, but put your mental health first. It's got to happen. And a great, great way to do that is to connect with others. Um, if you're able to like, even on social media and then like FaceTime them. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've, I've really been enjoying getting into the community, um, of SLPs. Some, sometimes we can come across as really, um, challenging to get along with <laughs> in certain circumstances of social media, but in others, we, we really care about our profession. We care about each other and we want to support each other. So yeah. I recommend that too. Agreed. All right, Kristen, this was amazing. Thank you so much for the insight onto how COVID-19 has affected practices, um, your practice within a skilled nursing environment. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed this conversation. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. <laughs>